Welcome inside the Celtics Life Podcast. I am Topher Lane here with Justin Quinn, and we are neck deep in the armpit of the offseason that some may call the doldrums. That's why in this episode, we'll be following what our Celtics are up to, some history, and our own dreams for the association. Plus, we've still dug up all kinds of other news for you. So let's dive right in. Justin, how you doing? Oh, I'm pretty caffeinated. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad on that summer day. Definitely need coffee for this time of year because it's so slow. There's just not a lot going on, you know, at, at least with basketball. With everything else, if you're a baseball fan, it's great. But, you know, for basketball, you definitely need coffee, caffeine, whatever you can get. Yep. There I am. Yeah. So let's start off with what our Celtics are up to, right? So in terms of actual basketball, Jalen Brown just played in the Africa game. He played for Team World. For those of you who are not familiar, that is part of Basketball Without Borders, a program by the NBA to kind of grow the game overseas to not just generate interest, but also generate potential basketball players who could join the association one day. So it's a pretty big deal. And to have to have a Celtic or, you know, and a couple of uh, ex-Celtics involved in the training staff and and, uh, also playing alongside Jalen Brown, it's a pretty big deal. And there were some pretty good names alongside Jalen on Team World. You had Kyle Lowry, Kemba Walker, who are kind of current stars. I put that in air quotes. Mm-hmm. who's obviously, I mean, he just, his knowledge of the game is insane. Just his ability. And I'm sure that he's just a great role model for, role model for a guy like Jalen. Yeah, Chris Depp Porzingis, who's an up-and-coming player. CJ McCollum, Andre Drummond. There's just a great combination of players. And Jalen was a standout player in this game. He was the leading scorer for Team World. Yeah, 16 points, finished with... 15 points. 15 points? Yep. Close enough. Still, enough, more than a dozen points. That's good. And he he shot pretty well. It was a good game all around for him. He had some flashy stuff going on, too. That that feed behind the back to Drummond. Pretty, Pretty good stuff. And meanwhile, his competition was pretty good players as well. I'm trying to... Serge Ibaka is probably the most starry player that they had. Dennis Schroeder is is solid and is definitely given the Celtics fits. Oladipo took off, too, for 28 points. Yep. Yep, Oladipo. I always forget about him being a good basketball player. I mean, he's not a great basketball player, but he's a very solid one. And now he's on the Pacers. <laughs> yeah, good luck with uh, that. Who else was on it? Mba Mute. Schroeder. Schroeder, yep, Schroeder. Bismack Biombo, who's been... Up and since his uh, since his tr- last season with the Raptors, Dang. yeah. So there is solid squad. Absolutely. Solid. I mean, it might not have been an All Star game, but it was it was definitely not you know a D League outing. It, yeah, it definitely wasn't summer league. You know, where you're going up against these guys that are rookies. Sometimes they're not even on contracts; they're just assigned to summer league or summer league deals. So this was more serious competition than what he'd been playing in the last month and a half. And he was doing really well, all things considered. Now, I know that Joel Embiid was supposed to play, but I believe he's still recuperating from his injury, so I don't think he did. He was on Team Africa, right? Or supposed Correct. to be on Team Africa? Yeah. For those and- of you who aren't familiar, the, the way they work it out is anybody who was born in Africa in the NBA or who have parent, a parent at least who was born in Africa is eligible for Team Africa, and Team World obviously is drawn from everywhere else. But what, what qualifies you for Team World? Do you just put your name in a hat and then they just draw? And You know, I don't actually know. That's a good question. I'll have to look into that. There's a lot of people to choose from. And do, do they have to be NBA players or can they be like guys from France or 
things I like that. I think it's just limited to NBA players because they are trying to do this for the NBA's profile overseas. All right. All right. <laughs> well, I you know it's still a good game to watch, and I think that if you have League Pass, you can watch it again on NBA.com. Maybe I think. Otherwise, I think we post the highlights. Highlights. So if you can't, we've got you covered. Yeah, we post the highlights to Celtics Life, so check that out, especially Jalen Brown stuff. So. Yeah, it was it was a good game to watch. I, I caught it later afterwards, and it was it was entertaining for sure. What else we got on tap? NBA might change the rules because Danny Ainge fleeced Brooklyn so hard. <laughs> yeah, I am not a fan of that. Even if I were the Nets uh, Nets fan, I wouldn't be a fan of that. Just because, as I said in, in the piece that I wrote on that, if you look at the CBA already, it's so convoluted. You have to spend hours and hours and hours just to get a basic idea of how trades work. Never mind any further kind of I guess legislation isn't, but regulation is not going to make the situation better, in my opinion. There will always be a way the general manager, in the spirit of trying to be a competitor and or save their job, will find a way to screw the team up royally. So just let them. And then they can get fired, and then the team can suck, and then teams can you know, be a little more vigilant. Well, so I see the logic in both sides, right? And especially with something like Brooklyn where they invested so much money into getting into this market and like getting into New York and getting into this like brand new stadium. And they were expected to be like a really big deal and they wanted to win. And they like had what probably should have been the pieces that would have given them a good team. And maybe it was a bad move, obviously. And in retrospect, it was, but I think so. I mean, not for they, us, ruined, but... <laughs> they ruined like six years, probably longer of this team's current and future. Yeah. And it's all because of just this one deal that, that was a Billy King made. It was Billy King. Uh, there's been very little talk about who was ultimately really responsible for that. And a lot of people think that the owner, Mikhail Prokhorov, I think is how you say his name, was, yeah. was the, really the driving force behind that because he wanted to make a big splash and he had the money. He didn't have the knowledge, you know, in terms of splash. Yeah, 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 he definitely made a huge splash. And, you know, they made the playoffs once. But I, I can see the logic because someone can damn their team's future for a long period. And I agree that you know maybe maybe a modicum of regulation isn't necessarily a bad thing. But we already have that in the Stepien rule, which is named for the Cleveland Cavs owner in the early '80s who traded away I believe like four or five seasons straight worth of first round picks, hmm. and his team was basically that generation's Brooklyn Nets. I don't really know that they needed to do anything like that again because most of the teams around the league saw just how terrible that team was for so long. Yeah. If that's not good enough for you, then I'm sorry, but your your organization deserves whatever it gets. I think this is a perfect storm of circumstances, though. I think with it being a, like a big investment in New York, if this were like Sacramento or a smaller market team, maybe... Even like the Clippers, I don't think I don't think the NBA would care. We're talking billions of dollars, and I don't think the NBA does care. I think that this was a proposal from at least one of the organizations that is not pleased with the Celtic success, possibly Brooklyn, but maybe not necessarily. And it never went anywhere. This proposal, just because I think people tend to agree that there's already a basic framework in place to keep people from destroying themselves with their own. Hubris, basically. Well, so in layman's terms, what does this proposal do? In a nutshell, what it does is it takes the stepping rule, which is a rule which limits the ability of a team to trade their pick multiple years in a row 
or more more specifically, you must control one first round draft pick every year. It doesn't necessarily have to be yours, but you need to be able to have a first round draft pick for several years in a row. And if you don't already have one in hand, then you can't trade away another one. So you do need to be, so in other words, if there's a three year stretch, you need to be in control of a draft pick two of those three middle. years. Two of the three years? Two of the three years. And you can't trade away your own draft pick in consecutive years. So what happened with the Brooklyn trade now, we got three first round picks spread out in alternating years. And then in between one of those at the last minute, Billy King was talked into adding a pick swap for last year, which got us Jalen Brown. Now, obviously I'm a little. That was, that was this year's, right? This was the year that we had the swap. Excuse me, 2017, Tatum. Yeah. That's yeah. Tatum and, and then we swapped. What about this but anyways, the, the, the basic premise of that allowed them to get around the spirit of the deal by allowing them to swap a pick, even though they still controlled the pick. Do you see what I'm saying? And this, yeah. they, 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 still, they still technically controlled the pick, but it really allowed them to take advantage of the hopes of the Celtics at the time when they made this proposal to capitalize on the likely crappiness of the team at this juncture and avoid it work. So at least one general manager was very pissed off about that, and it's quite possible that, that would be the Nets general manager. I can understand why, with you describing it, I can understand why you mean that this just adds another layer of complexity. Because it's just like trying to be a front office guy and staring at this scenario of like, okay, well, the Nets ditched their pick last season, so we can't ask for the, Like, it would just be the most... Con- like, I'm imagining trade conversations and just this hell raising of trying to figure out what we can trade, what we can't trade, because of what we did a year ago, two years ago, stuff like that. And it seems like it would so, solve the problem, right? But I mean, they found a way around it. They'll probably find a way around it again. So yeah. at, at what point do we really say, all right, if you're going to be that creative at screwing yourself, go ahead. Yeah, just have to accept stupidity and accept that people are going to screw themselves sometimes. I mean, if they're trying that hard, if they're being that creative, then who am I to get in their way? Yeah. Well, it's the 10-year and week anniversary of the Celtics trading their first-round pick for Kevin Garnett. That kind of worked out okay. Kind of. I think. Yeah. More than it also, it actually does have to do with the Brooklyn trade because obviously Kevin Grant was part of that trade. So it's like a combination of, of trade. <laughs> this segues into this part so much better than I thought. Yeah, Kevin Grant, <laughs> 10 years ago in like a week and a half. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little dated now, but we're a weekly podcast during the summer. We don't do the midweek. So we're cramming a lot of information in. And really, it's been a great gift in terms of giving us something to pay attention to after the whole Cleveland is imploding thing with Kyrie Irving last week going on. That died down. We still had something else to talk about for a while. We got to reminisce about the 2008 run and thinking about how that is going to, you know, impact winning with this new team that we put together out of the shell of the old. And it's been really great, in my opinion, you know, not just for nostalgia purposes, but it's also given us some stuff to think about in terms of putting together a super team and and what we might be able to expect out of of the Celtics coming up this year. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I do want to say Kevin Garnett was the first Celtics jersey that I got. Really? And that, that started my curse of when I get a jersey, the guy's going to be traded that like following off season or during that course of that season. That started the curse because I, I got a Kevin Garnett jersey. He was traded that. Did you just that get an summer. Isaiah Thomas jersey? I did just get an Isaiah Thomas jersey. It is sick and I'm really worried about it. It should be and I'm going to be. <laughs> but my Jay Crowder jersey is strong. 
It's like I, I've held on to that for two well, how years. How long did now. it take the KG one to work out? I bought it in the spring of 2013. So it was traded. Was traded that following spring, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or like later, okay. later that spring or that summer. I had a theory that maybe you had some kind of like you know waiting period, but that's shot to crap. So. Oh yeah, it's like instantaneous and posters too. Like I got an Adrian Gonzalez poster on the Red Sox, and then that was when Carl Crawford and Josh Beckett were traded off, and Gonzalez was like the trading chip. It's so like I just have a if I get any swag for any team for some reason, the player with the exception of Jay Crowder and currently Isaiah Thomas are traded almost instantaneously. Well, almost. I, I totally understand how, you know, logic doesn't necessarily need to play into superstitions too hard because for a long time, I thought that I was the key to New England teams being successful considering that I moved out of New England in 2004 and just look at Boston sports since then. Yeah, I was actually, I was walking through Logan today and they've got all the banners. I actually, this is my first time flying out of Logan in a really long time. They've got all the banners up there. But they still haven't put up the 2017 Patriots Super Bowl. Really? I was surprised. But I, yeah, I was just looking at the last like 15 years of Boston sports, and it's insane. It's absolutely wild. So I guess we should thank you because hey, you left. Happy to do my duty. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Um, but cross sports though, Brad Stevens was actually everywhere. Ever like Brad Stevens was a Patriots practice. Isaiah Thomas was at the Pats Today? practice. Today, yes, so Sunday, or Monday, I should say. Yeah, so Monday, and then also Mookie Betts came to his thing, Red Sox center fielder, or right fielder, I should say. Oh, it was at Thomas' yeah. camp on this weekend. I think it was Saturday or Sunday. So just suddenly everyone's kind of intermingling between kind of this rich heritage of, of Boston athletics. They didn't used to do that, or if they did used to do that when I lived there, the internet wasn't savvy enough to tell us about it. True. But, I mean, just the masterminds. Can you imagine the conversation that Brad Stevens and Bill Belichick had at that practice? Because there was a picture taken of them talking. And just like. To be a fly on the wall in that conversation. I'm like trying to under. Like, I don't know if they have any ability to like small talk or if they're just like both too brilliant to do that. <laughs> they just kind of stood there. I don't know what happened, but I, that just must have been. I just picture Brad talking yeah. a lot and Bill scowling a lot. Yep. Drugging. Kind of looking at her direction. Yeah. That's fair. We should get Mark in here. Mark's our big Pats guy. I think of the four of us, the podcasters. I think he's the, the biggest, the biggest yeah. Pats fan. Yeah. So we we need to get him on this. But I love Danny Ainge's tweet because he he tweeted at that picture and he's like they're probably talking about like sweatshirt cutoffs or something. I need to find that exact tweet. But it was amazing. Danny Ainge just had a sense of humor on Twitter this off season. He has. He's been really out there. I'm starting to wonder if he's got somebody running his Twitter for him. He gave up on running his own. Yeah, what was that? It was actually a really amazing... Because he's been, over the last week, it's been You fantastic. see that thing that he's doing with for his son on Twitter? Getting dumped? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have a theory. Okay, so for those of you who haven't seen the tweet, Danny Ainge is allowing himself to potentially be dunked into one of those big dunk tanks that you see at county fairs and whatnot to raise money for Tanner Ainge's campaign, which is going to be drawing to a close soon. He's running for, I think, Congress? Yeah, yeah out in Utah. And for those of you who weren't paying attention to the family tension they had going on during during free agency, Gordon Hayward was, you know, kind of a sticking point in, on, on, between the two family members with obviously Tanner trying to retain him, pitting him against his father. So I kind of think this is a nice way to say to the people of Utah, 
you know, we're not sorry, but we know you're frustrated. So here, vote for my son and throw me in the water. I would be so against anything to do with the Celtics, even if it's only like the owner's or well, GM's son. I would just, if I were upset about them taking Gordon Hayward, I would definitely not vote for Tanner Ainge out of spite. But the would team. you pay $25 to throw the guy behind it into a tank? I would. Mm. Granted, it's still going to help Tanner, but. but... What's the situation where we've gotten, where someone's been taken from us? I'm trying to think uh, of the I think the best situation we can think of like that would probably be Ray Allen leaving free agency. So would, just dunk Pat think, Riley? Yeah, yeah, dunk Pat would, Riley even if he hadn't been. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fair. I'm I kind of biased. Yeah, that's fair. I could, yeah, uh, no, you're right. Okay, fine. Yeah, I get it. $25 for dunk Danny Ainge. That's fine. But also, I feel like maybe we're just like biased and Celtics fans, but I feel like Pat Riley is a lot more hateable. Oh, infinitely. I mean, he's like the Darth Vader of, of, of general managers. Is that just us being biased, though, or is that a worldwide... I mean, it's generally a consensus if you're not a Lakers fan or a Heat fan. Yes. I, I, I mean, I hate I hate him. He's the worst. And I loved when... I respect him, but I do not Gordon like him. I love when the Gordon Hayward thing leaked, and like Celtics Life, right? We were tweeting about how it was either Jay Crowder, Pat Riley, who leaked the the thing when the Gordon Hayward announcement was made, but it oh, wasn't it was actually an announcement. Or I know, but there was there was jokes that it was either Crowder, Pat Riley, or the guy who does Family Feud, the one who did Steve the Miss America thing. Yeah, Steve oh. Harvey it was one of those three. I like to imagine it was Pat Riley because he wanted Gordon Hayward. Yeah, it's a nice little <laughs> knife you can throw into the mix just to make things awkward for people. That's going to be in our conspiracy pod, 100%. ESPN, and I don't get this, and this makes me Mm -hmm. kind of upset. ESPN has Boston win the East. I agree with that. No, I agree with that. That's not. Let me let me finish. But it's with 49.4 wins. Well, there is a good explanation for this, but let me just go ahead and get ahead of it. And say that I do not like the model that Kevin Pelton, who's the guy who put this together, uh, he used RPM as its primary driving force in determining this. And his explanation as to why the Celtics would both win the East, which of course we're both happy about, but also yeah. win less games, yeah. is because in his mind, there was such a three point dependent team. And there were so many close games. So with such, with such dependence on a high percentage shot and so many close games, his explanation is that three or four of them will probably end up going the other way this season just because of the, the high percentage rate of that shot being what it is. Okay. Okay. Because there were a lot of games last season that were won, you know, on a bucket or two. Yeah. Yeah. But, but – like, like, what about like extraneous factors? Like the fact that like the, the East is so much worse. Oh, I know, I know. But how does that not warrant us more wins? Hey, you know, the other thing to consider here is that he is looking at teams like the 76ers, who he has not making the playoffs, which I think is a little surprising. But he, he assumes that all the players who are going to be playing on the roster are healthy because they don't have a way to predict for injury or recovery. And mm-hmm. a lot of these teams, 76ers, potentially the Heat, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a few teams around the league that 
could be dealing with injury, particularly in the East, the Bucks with Jabari Parker. Those teams, you can't you can't use this this like modeling program and tell it to simulate injury. It's just not possible. I mean, maybe someday they'll come up with some kind of a algorithm to do that, but there's a lot of baked in faults to the system just because you can't necessarily predict for a lot of these things. Even things like, you know, we, we know that Jabari Parker is not going to be back at the beginning of the season. He's just not. And even if he was cleared to play at a very, very early date, he would still be very bad and out of shape for a while. So I get it. I just don't like it. I just, I just I don't I don't agree with the Celtic only winning forty nine. Well, I mean they can't win forty nine point four games, which is what he has. I know. <laughs> I, know. I just like forty nine. It's just it's way too I agree. low. I think that their 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 floor is about a fifty five win team, and I think that they're going to be between fifty eight and sixty wins, not based on modeling, but based on what's gone on in the East and what's gone on with the team and. Just, you know, building off of last season, the only way I think that that doesn't happen is we might end up a couple of wins above this 52-53 wins about last year if Isaiah Thomas is still slow to recover early in the season and Gordon Hayward has to pick up the slack for him, God forbid. Though he did say this past weekend, weekend that his hip would right? Yeah, great. so I don't really think that's too much of an issue. So that's that's it. So that's that's for sure, for sure. Um, among the rookies, um, among the rookies who come back, who do you think is actually ready to get serious playing time? Well, what are you saying? First of all, when we're saying serious playing time, ten minutes a game, five minutes a game, fifteen, thirty. Who do you think would fall? Who do you think would fall in those okay. categories? And then, and then from that standpoint, who do you I think, think that for? if you're not making at least ten minutes a game, then you're just an experiment. You know, the way that Brad plays, if you're getting less than 10 minutes, you're not a right part of the rotation, really. They're just trying you out to see how you might fit with whatever pet project of a lineup he's working on. So for me, 10 minutes, those are those are guys who who have shown something. And pretty much everybody else is unlikely to, pay, to play more than a six-man type of, like, let me start over. There's only one person on this team who I think is, is likely – to get a chance to play north of 10 minutes a game. That is Jason Tatum. Yes. Jason. In my opinion. I think that Grishonia Buscele and Ante Zizic could start out playing as much as around 15 minutes a game, but if they, if they, you know, show problems on their defensive assignments, if they show, like in the case of Yabuselli, if they don't look like they're quite ready in terms of, you know, conditioning, and based on what I've been seeing with uh, Jalen Brown and Yabusele, I think that's not going to be an issue. But I digress. Those two, I think, have a fairly solid shot early in the season. I think by the end of the season, we could also be seeing uh, Shemi Ohale. I think that's – I'm working on it, guys. Working on it. Uh, I'm not saying his name, that is. I think he might also get up to that by the middle to the end of the season. I don't really know how Tice, Daniel Tice, I think we agree that's how we're going to say yeah. his name. Yeah. I've been yeah. hearing it around the league, uh, people talking about him, saying it that way. So I think that he also has a chance. He's technically not a rookie, but I'm counting him as one because he's only played some, a couple of minutes of summer league in the NBA so far. As far as I'm concerned, he's a rookie. 
And Kadeem Allen, and if Jabari Bird does end up getting that second two-way spot, as well as Kadeem Allen's, I think that they might be able to play spot minutes in games, but I, I don't even think we're going to see them more than a handful of games this season. That's my opinion. What about you? I I would agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I, I think that Jabari might be kind of like a J.J. Reddick. Like, he'll he'll see some time off the bench as like a sharpshooter kind of deal. Semi yeah. as well. And that's, that's, I don't that's think kind it's of my too crazy. As far as... Not, it's not even guys taking, have the defensive it's, it's, capability to stay on the floor, so I do think that they have a, a greater likelihood. Kadeem Allen still needs a lot of work in that regard. Yeah, and I, I think obviously Zizich and Yabusele, based on who does well, and I think that's something that's definitely up in the air because we don't know what we got with Yabusele in the NBA. Zizich we saw with a lot of issues in Summer League that he fixed pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, pretty nice. So like he's getting rebound catch the ball, bring it down, and then it gets stripped almost every time. And he fixed yeah. that between summer league, right? And and that's something that he'll have to continue to work on, but it seems like he is at least adaptive in that sense, and, and I think we'll continue to see him improve. Yabusele, similarly, we don't know what we've got, though, but I'm hopeful that I would prefer Yabusele to be better just because of well, personal preference. I just think he's too. awesome. Yeah, but I, I think it entirely depends. I think they're both going to have each other's minutes, and it's going to depend on who's doing better by the latter stages of the season, who's going to see serious minutes in crunch time. And then everyone else. I, yeah, I, I'm not sure how to feel about Tice. If I'm, I, I don't really have a good read well, on him. We just haven't seen very much of him, so. He'll, yeah, and then, again, I think Bird would be a legitimate option off the bench if he really plays up to what I think he's capable of, which I, I actually think he's yeah, got a pretty high ceiling. What I saw in summer league, you know, he, he can bury a corner three. He can he can guard fairly well across at least three positions that I saw. I think once he's playing actual NBA players, he should at least be able to guard wing players fairly effectively. And with the loss of Bradley, we I, I don't know who we turn to as far as a sharpshooter goes, you know? Bradley was a lot of times our, I think, Celtics fans would agree he was our three-point shooter. Jay Crowder was probably next in line. And Isaiah was sporadic. I mean, he was consistently sporadic, is a good way to describe Isaiah Thomas. And then there's Marcus Smart. And then there's Marcus Smart. And so we need somebody who can shoot, because that was something. There were games where we shot like 25% from the floor, or from three as a team. Everybody can shoot their three well, like a league average, except for Marcus Smart. Yeah, and I think Jay Crowder's going to have to step up as a shooter. And I don't know where he's going to fit on the floor. He was hitting above forty percent last season, so I don't think that's worth I I like I really like Jay Crowder, and he found his role in the corner. Yeah, I really appreciated that. But I think that the some one of these rookies, whether it's Semi or or Jabari, is going to be kind of the sharpshooter. Find their stroke; they'll have a spot. I think so, and I I really want it to be Semi, although I want a Bird jersey that isn't Larry Bird because I think it's fun. Yeah, I'd wear it ironically. Change the number. But Gordon Hayward, so we wrote about this. I'm not exactly sure who wrote it, but we wrote about Gordon Hayward running the point. And this this is kind of contingent on a lot of different things. If Isaiah doesn't start the season because of his hip injury, and we'll kind of see where that stands once preseason and summer camp and stuff start up. But there's, do you think that Gordon Hayward can run the offense at point? 
I do think that the kind of offensive sets that Brad Stevens run, there's there's enough of an emphasis on ball movement that you can get away with not having a primary ball handler being the ball handler. Just as long as the person bringing up the court is capable enough not to get stripped against most people guarding them, at least to half court, I think it can work. And the fact that he can be the offensive threat that he is, like he draws enough gravity in terms of defenders where he can kind of compensate for the fact that he doesn't have the tightest handle and he's not the best passer. If he can just draw two people consistently and then move the ball to somebody who's relatively open, I think you can still initiate offense that way. And as it stands now, Morris can stretch the floor if he's at the five. We've got just this insane Very space. few players on this team can't hit and the so, three at least. Yeah. Yeah, and so we, there's just so much space. Like, the, the only guy that can arguably sag Aaron off is Marcus Baines Smart. also, but I mean... But I, I, I don't see Baines getting yeah, a ton I think of he's time, just going to basically be Maybe like, oh, crap, we're losing the rebounding battle because they have a tough big guy. Put him in. Yeah. He'll be yeah. he'll be used sparingly. Ten to fifteen minutes a game normally, maybe a little bit more in some of those old school kind of matchups. Yeah, when you're going up against like I don't even know Greg Monroe when he's getting serious. Uh, time. I, maybe the distance, yeah. Yep. I, yeah, but otherwise, I I think Hayward would have the ability because he's got court vision. Yep. He's got pretty good court vision. His ability to drive and kick. Yeah. And his size also. I mean, it would just be a match. A matchup nightmare for there's ways to, to, to deal with with and, Hayward being your primary distributor. You can adapt to it, but in short bursts or by a necessity, it's enough. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's been working out with semi also, so kind of both new Celtics, but they're both sticking like together that. right now. Do you know why it was in San Diego? Is there any particular reason that you know of, or is that just you know a nice place to work out in the summer? Gordon Hayward, I did not there, know I that. I thought that's that's where. It, I thought so, because that's where yeah, he was. When I he was saw that. I was wondering what the connection might be. Good to know. I thought so. I might be completely oh. wrong, but I swear I saw that somewhere. And I also saw a Celtics fan on Reddit who had said that he met Gordon Hayward while he's going into like the USC gym because he's working out at USC. And apparently he was a really nice dude. He was like totally cool with it. He was wearing a Celtics shirt. So now it's cool. I like it. I like that he's that he's sticking with the rookie and that he's helping him out. I'm assuming, and that the pictures he was smiling, so it seems like he's happy to be a Celtic. <laughs> That's my inference. I would. <laughs> and yeah, I was pleased. So one thing that I would like to talk about that we haven't broached yet is, you know, with all the changes happening to the Celtics, some of the changes that you'd like to see, and also myself, I have some ideas, in the NBA. Sure. Do you want to start? Because this, this was your idea. Okay, Show so. Show me what we got. Let's see what we got. Well, Mr. considering that an important Celtics writer lives in Mexico City, that would be me. I'm, you know, no, blowing smoke up my own ass, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. I'd like to see some expansion, particularly to Mexico City, which has been floated as a potential location. And I would like to see one of the bigger wrongs of league history righted, giving the other of the two franchises just a playoff stay nice and even. Back to Seattle. I'm not East? really sure exactly where. I, I honestly think that they would be a better fit in the West, and then you could bump Memphis to the East and maybe NOLA to the East. Okay. that's. I, I just didn't think that you could move people, but that's reasonable. Yeah, I mean, 
it's not too, it's not too difficult. Just, I like that. You know, I mean, we have like Oklahoma City in the Pacific Northwest region. That makes no sense. There'd be some shuffling going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I, obviously the divisions aren't consequential anymore at all. So that, that, that doesn't matter that much, but the conference is what matters. But, and it's not nearly as bad as it is in football as far as like Eastern versus Western. But yeah, the fact that like the Grizzlies are in the East and you have, even the Bulls in the East seem strange to me compared to a handful of other teams that are in the West. It's just like... Yeah, I've also sense. heard of uh, breaking it into fourths, which I guess you could do also, but I don't know. I don't really know if you need to, to overcomplicate yeah. things and make some gradual changes and see how they work out. Arguably, though, that could make it a more entertaining playoff system. You break it into fourths, go kind yeah. of like bracketology in college, where it's like four... Four regions coming together that could be more fun and it might solve the problem of like oh man the playoffs are so messed up because you know the, the west is so much better than the east and so people don't feel like it's as you fair. might see a little bit more balanced but matchups that way maybe, yeah no actually i like okay, that actually, i'll, I'll work on picking out any potential uh potential unforeseen problems because there always are yeah oh uh, right, well for aesthetic reasons i think i would like a nice you know, parsimonious solution to the heck of problem. It really makes for an unwatchable product. I don't like it. But at the same time, uh, I, I do want foul shooting to stay mostly what it is because it's an, it's been an important part of the game for a very long time. And I don't think that it necessarily screws up the aesthetics when it's not abused. So in the last two minutes of a game, and well, of a half, I should say, the rules change for a foul, so that way you get an automatic point and possession. It eliminates the incentive huh. for a hacker in that situation because they're going to score 50% from the free throw line that doesn't exist anymore right out the gate, and they just get the ball back. So any potential advantage you would have gotten from fouling just goes away. Now, you still shoot normal fouls. The foul rules stay the same all the way through, except for maybe. We could institute this once any team gets to eight fouls and a half just because they, they're clearly, you know, trying to take advantage of like a DeAndre Jordan or, you know, Andre Drummond or just whoever is the, the functional shack of a particular game. So once, once it's clear that there's a pattern of behavior that's being abusive towards that rule, you know, eight fouls, 10 fouls, something like that, not, not a small amount and or the last two minutes of the half. But. Then that gets so that fouls would be so much worse. Like let's say you're down by one or two, and it, it's a really big play. LeBron James drives and gets a really shady contact call from a ref. All right, misses it. Suddenly they get ball and and a point. Yep, that is correct. That's that's ridiculous because then they can then they have. You know, a three-point well, lead case, and though, the, the ball, even though it was maybe... That there was a foul called that gave them some kind of shady advantage. The problem there would be that officiating. And they are trying to solve that by putting another official on the floor. And there's other things that they could do to tidy up officiating and other rule changes they can make also to that effect. I'm not convinced that that's really a particularly good argument because you can still do that now and then you get two shots if you're a good player. Okay, let's, let's say let's say it's a legitimate foul. Then let's say he actually gets hit pretty hard. 
still gets a point and ball, that there's a chance that they then turn it into a three-point play, even if he misses the basket. There's a chance they make it into a four-point play if Great. he gets the basket High and drama the foul. of actual basketball action. Yeah. I'd rather watch that uh, than, than like somebody it. just, like you it. know, making me sludge through five minutes of what could have been settled in two seconds. I mean, I agree, but the, the hack the hack approach isn't constant enough. I mean, there are four guys who are getting hacked across the league. If you're a Pistons fan, a Clippers fan, and I th- who's the who are the other guys? But I, I, I the ones that I know every are team has one guy at least like this. Just, well, but like Amir Johnson was like a bad free throw shooter. But you know what? We just didn't have a problem with it. The Pistons actually have like a legitimate right to have with the league and their rules because yeah their games are unwatchable at the end yeah i would i would say that almost every single team has this problem and there needs to be a balance between creating i mean the the shot clock exists for a reason for example you do need to make adjustments when teams find ways to exploit rules as you know pointing to the conversation we had earlier in terms of the stepping rule you know teams are always going to find a way around it and I don't like adding complicated rules. So, I mean, I would even be willing to just knock it down to possession. If you foul and it's within two minutes or you keep fouling, you get so many fouls per game that are just normal gameplay fouls. And once you cross a threshold, there needs to be some kind of a way to take away the advantage to make it a crappy product. Okay, got it. Uh, How about you... No points because points you have to earn just buckets. You know, if if the ball if the ball is the bottom of the net, then it shouldn't be a point. But okay, so mm-hmm. my thought, my reaction. What about if there's a second foul? So the first foul in a possession, unless it's like a shooting foul, doesn't warrant free throws. It just gives you possession. Then the second foul, if there's multiple fouls per possession, then you give them points. Maybe I. Th- Okay, so if it's the last two minutes of a half, or if they've gotten more than eight fouls in a half, they stop getting free throws. It's just mm-hmm. possession, period. So there's no advantage whatsoever. They lose time, you know, so uh, there might be, you, you might be able to kind of get an advantage by making their, their ability to actually get a shot off lower with less time, but at the very least, it would allow gameplay to continue moving. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. This is why the NBA... Are you saying that we're not as... ...solving these problems? ...capable for this sort of thing with... I'm uh, not cut out for this, man. depth of experience? <laughs> I, I, I'm not a... My cha- okay, let me, go, let me go to my changes, because I'm, I'm a lot more simple. I want, I want the draft to happen Preach, after brother. the start of free agency. That's, that's the one thing... That's what I care about above all things in the NBA is that draft day should come afterwards because the whole like Paul George stuff of like, should we trade for Paul George? And then the conversation about how it was possible that Danny Ainge had something on the table, but he wanted to see if he get Gordon Hayward first. And we just couldn't do that. You know, it makes no sense to have the draft before because that all the trades happen and then free agency happens. It's like, you don't know it's what you've got in free agency. Until structure. It happened. Oh, my dog's getting angry. Dogs, yeah. be quiet. Thank you very much. Nope. He doesn't like the concept of of being before free agency either. But I, I just don't. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest issue for me is that the draft is still before free agency, and it just it just makes everything more difficult for everybody. 
it's not like the kids are going to be, it's not like you're doing anything else. It's summer for the kids who are still in school. And, you know, if they are seriously about to get drafted, it's not like they need money until they get drafted. Can you think of any other issues there would be with it if you did that, though? I tried really hard when I saw it in the notes, and I couldn't think of anything other than one thing, and I'll save it. Okay. The one thing is what happens with the philosophy of drafting best player available over need? Does that go away or does that stay the same? And that's not necessarily a problem so much as a thought experiment. Is that, I, I would feel like then people would draft based on, well, it would, it would completely depend on what they got. I think it wouldn't change anything. I think if you don't get the free agency moves that you want. So if we didn't get Gordon Hayward, maybe we wouldn't trade the number one overall pick and we would have gone for hmm. Markel Fultz. Fit-wise, it wouldn't have necessarily been the right move, but you know what? Maybe we'd accept, like, all right, well, we need to get the best player available. And I, we'd heard this past week that Jason Tatum said that Celtics would have picked him one overall regardless. But, you know, maybe, and I'm talking hypothetically, obviously, with that being excluded from the, the conversation, but maybe if free agency happened first, we struck out, we wouldn't have gone for... I think Tatum it might be right, home. but I'm not entirely sure. I just, I, I don't think that it would change... To your argument, I don't think it would change anything. I think some teams would still draft based on well, needs. If some any listeners can think of a particularly talent. egregious problem that could arise from this, let us know in the comments because I think it's a great idea and I don't know why we don't do it. I don't either. It just makes no sense to me. But that's that's my biggest problem. My next thing is I just want to make – I want Jim Beheim to be a coach in the NBA, so I just want – I want to get rid of the defensive three seconds so you can play a real 2-3 zone. I think Brad Stevens would be in – coach of the year conversations which he should be and for some reason he's not but i think he should be if they get rid of defensive three seconds because he loves his zone and he'd be able to actually play it in the nba if they got rid of defensive three seconds or at least longer like five seconds maybe yeah maybe but he just doesn't see the point what's what's the problem with having somebody push yeah just to keep people colliding with each other at high speed that's my understanding of it it might not be the truth but that's what i i've been told so the level of athleticism now, and especially with that would help combat the issue with like the Warriors being so dominant. That would actually revitalize the need yep. for a rim protector through center. We're talking about, you know, how the big man is obsolete now in the NBA. Let's do it in summer league and see what happens. He's back. Is that the, yeah, the test? Way. Do it in G League. Why not? And then another college rule that I like is just one and one free throws, which. To go back to your previous point, that might make the hack a so For those who don't watch the college game, could you explain what because, that means? Yeah, so with seven team fouls and a half, because it's not quarters in college basketball, with seven team fouls and a half, you're in the bonus. And so if you get fouled, you get one free throw. If you make it, you get to take a second one. So it basically means it's like, you know, it's rewarding the fact that you've gotten a lot of fouls, but it doesn't, it's not as condemning to a team. As they're constantly I don't know if it would make the two. heck a, a bigger deal because the crappy free throw shooting would work itself out over a broader spectrum of shots. Kind of, but Great. if they miss Let's it, they don't on. even get a chance for the 50% <laughs> shot. But why do we have to see it twice? Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm logic. for that. I don't have I a problem see the logic. That. that actually might even be a simpler solution. I mean, you'd have to experiment to see how it plays out, but I, I think that might even be a more parsimonious solution to what I'm looking for. And I think we'd have to look at it from like an analytics standpoint, like get Daryl Morey in here to tell us if that analytically would be better to be fouling someone like DeAndre Jordan, like Dwight Howard, like Andre Drummond, 
and then evaluate if it would still be worth it in a one-on-one situation. Because from a fan's perspective, and I, I actually didn't think about it from like a time standpoint, but from a fan's perspective, I think it's just a better way to play. And if it were to combat the Hacka, DeAndre, Hacka... I'd have to really think about that it. That would actually because maybe... If you have 100 instances, yeah, and, and they make 30% of them, if you if you cut it into 50 instances in a season, not that that's an accurate number, but just for the sake of argument, they're still going to make the same amount of them over time, and it will influence the game in the same way, in my mind. And again, you can comment on, on the, the article for this podcast and tell me I'm absolutely wrong. But my understanding of probability, it will it will manifest in the same way. Just the number of games won and lost, it will be halved based on their screw ups or successes at the free throw line. Well, and maybe you would force them to get better at free throw shooting because clearly the the two free throws isn't because they get the second chance regardless. Maybe the need for those points would get them to try a little bit harder and actually practice because that's that's the thing is you know the the argument against the hacker whoever is that you know what they need to learn how to take free throws everyone else has to do it they need to learn and we're not going to change the rules to accommodate a handful and that's of a fair thing but in, in doing it that way you don't have to slog through a second opportunity they're going to miss yeah so maybe maybe this is a one a simple solution and i i mostly pitch this because i just would enjoy one and one because I just don't like that the second that you get into the bonus or the, I don't even know what it's called. Now I'm thinking college, but the second that you're over the limit in terms of fouls, it's, you know, you, you get two regardless of what happens. It's, it's condemning in a lot of cases that, you know, you might be down by two and then suddenly it's a two possession game with however yep. long, even though it's only your second foul to have. So that's just me. I like the college game. For I think it might be an interesting like twist. I think, uh, if, uh, People with any kind of ability to influence anything are listening. Give it a thought. Give it a try. We know you're out there. Mr. Silver, we're counting on you. We know you're listening. But I and Jim Bayham would be able to coach in the NBA. He can retire from college, leave Syracuse, and come straight to the NBA. I would be a legend. Be beautiful. Six straight champions. Nah, I respect him. I I know you hate Jim Bayham. You're a UConn guy, but. Yeah. Uh, Bill Russell, Celtics legend, was ranked higher than Michael Jordan by his heirness himself, which was pretty interesting. This com- came on the heels of him talking about Kobe being better than LeBron mm-hmm. because, like, five is better than three, right? That was what he said. Three. So uh, he couldn't then say, well, Bill Russell is I'm better than Bill Russell because by his logic. Eleven. Does Russell had how many rings? How many rings did Russell have? Yeah. You know, there you go. (laughs) It was definitely, I think, a calculated jab at LeBron. But, I mean, there's also, apart from, you know, analyzing him on his own logic, he never did say that he was the best player of all time that I'm aware of. Not yet. Not yet. Once he retires, he's going to talk. I mean, he's retired from basketball. No. Oh, no, no, no. I thought you were talking about Michael Jordan. So sorry. LeBron James, I mean? No, I'm talking about LeBron James. LeBron James, is when, once he retires, he's going to be talking about his legendariness. You know, he's going to be like, ah, oh, his legend, I was the best that ever played. I'm sure that he'll, he'll involve himself in these arguments once 
He's out I of mean, the game. But right I mean, I feel he like he's worked his way into a top five conversation. And there's a lot of different ways you can look at who greatest all time, what that means to you. But it's a, it's largely a subjective thing. If it's by rings, he's very far from that. If you take into account that the game has changed and has become something that he is particularly good at that maybe other players from another era might have been worse at, which is an untestable hypothesis in the first place. But you can make arguments like that that would put LeBron higher than he is than just based on rings alone. You can look at points scored. You can look at a whole bunch of different criteria and slap together whatever ones you want because there's no standardization. It's mostly a meaningless conversation, in my opinion. It was, yeah, no, I can agree with that. And I, I've never been someone who wants to compare the players. I, I just, it's something that just, I know gets like clicks and stuff and ESPN loves those conversations and stuff. And when they've got Michael Jordan in a room, they're like, what oh, does that you mean? LeBron, stuff like that. And like when, when people ask a question how do you like mean? that, when, when there's like almost no overlap in their playing career and like their primes were more than a decade apart, the league always changes so much and it probably always will in terms of style of play and evolution of skills and available, you know, support for players and rule changes. And, you know, if you go back to the early years of the NBA, it's not even the same game, really. Like if you can just run around the court and dribble, you know, people's defense is going to look great because nobody's scoring, but the shot clock, excuse me, more off-season has changed the game dramatically, and as a result, comparisons between them—it's like trying to compare like Australian rules football and U.S. football and soccer, and like maybe there was a common origin for these sports, and they all adapted into new and different things over time. But at some point. The comparisons get really meaningless, in my opinion. And maybe closer together, like when we're talking LeBron and Michael Jordan, you know, you have some basis for a comparison. But like when we start going back to like people like Bill Russell, it's very hard to create a meaningful conversation on who the better player is that isn't just, you know, tugging on your heartstrings or whatever you consider to be important. Yep. Well, Michael Jordan admitted it, or acknowledged it, I guess I should say. But it's something that, and it's being talked about because he, I, I guess it would have been a conversation either way. But he had to be asked his hierarchy because of the fact that he put Kobe above LeBron. And then suddenly they're like, all right, well, let's talk about the best ever then. And he got into this conversation. But I, I, th- I see the rationale for talking about it. I don't think that we should necessarily put any merit into it. And like, I, I would enjoy watching like a 2K simulation of things like that. You know, it'd be fun to see like Russell's Celtics teams versus the 90s Bulls. I think that'd be entertaining. Or versus the 2015 Cavs. You know, it's, it's fun to have those conversations, but I hate so, I, that it's something I get, such I, a big deal. On whether, like, where LeBron was in a prominent writer's Twitter feed recently not even recently like six months ago and people i am still getting answers on not quite a daily basis but people will still chime in on that debate it's ridiculous yeah yeah no people people get really heated about these things i don't exactly know why 
But people get Actually, so defensive is, over LeBron James. Sure and, is a good thing. You know, where are he stats? Where are he, and stats, I, I think stats are the best way to describe these things and to, to find a solution if we're really looking for answers. And LeBron is climbing. Yeah, and it's like, well, MVP. Like, Michael Jordan had what? Three MVPs by the time he was 28 or something, and that was like a comparison when LeBron was turning 28. <laughs> I don't. I, I'm pulling the numbers out of my ass right now, but they're, they're, that comparison, right? MVPs by a certain age. You know, Russell Westbrook is dominant. Kevin Durant is. I think Bill Russell dominant. Be Steph Curry. Yeah, yeah. But, but big men that, are so limited. I'm. I'm sure he'd probably find a way to succeed in different ways. Yeah, and like you can look at these metrics, and like in any capacity, you can skew yeah. them to find a way to argue for your own side. So, but it's cool. It's cool that he acknowledges that, that Russell was great. Was Russell the one during the SBs who yes, like, turned around and looked at everybody? He's like, I could beat all of you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it's fun and it's, it's cool because he's like the grandpa that we all love, you know? He just, at least for us fans right now, and then the fans that obviously witnessed his dominance. Um, I'm only 23 years old, so I didn't, I didn't get to see him just crush everybody, but. You know, it's it's cool that the game respects game, and I think that's what I acknowledge. That's what I appreciate the most in the NBA is when it's it's more respect than just like a oh I'm better than you because I'm all. I appreciate respect more, and that's why I like that that his airness gave credit where credit was due to Russell. So, and since we're talking about old legend, school basketball him. players, did you see that uh, graphic artist who worked for the NBA? I forget what his name was off the top of my head, so forgive me, but he put out a series of tweets with so-called contemporary hairstyles for classic NBA players. Whose was oh, your favorite? God. Because I yeah, really like Scalise. I was not a fan. <laughs> I think Scalise was my favorite. I mean, it wasn't as bad as Kevin Garnett's. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Yeah, it looked like somebody like shaved their pubes off and slapped it on his head. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you made the right up, right? You, very you the, I like I like Paul Pierce's a lot. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thing. Well, I'm glad someone had like the Alfred Payton, right? The, like kind of like really rough, like everything yeah. is going on and it's like straight in the air kind of deal, like the Frankenstein kind of deal. Yeah, that's that's I don't like the I don't like that look. And someone had that. Unfortunately, I don't think it was the Celtic. That was entertaining. I really enjoyed One that. One of the most realistic ones, I think, was Larry Bird's. Uh, yeah. Well, they gave him like a mainstream deal. Wait, I don't. Remember. I need to look at this up because. Uh, yeah. Thanks, NBA guy, NBA Photoshopper. <laughs> Hang on, I'm gonna find these because I I looked at him. I didn't spend a ton of time looking at him, but it was. I was entertained. It was probably Again, the most realistic contemporary okay. haircut out of all of them, but I, I, I don't know, just didn't like it. No, I mean I didn't like it because I, I, yeah, I, I appreciate their hair for what they had, <laughs> but yeah, okay, okay, yeah, the Captain Garnett one is. It's like a Miles Turner. Yeah, one. very like bad Miles bad Turner. Miles this is like a bad toupee. Yeah. Messi 
Kobe's looked it's really good, and I don't good. really feel comfortable saying that, like but it is what it is. I think so. Is that Kelly Oubre? Did they just literally take Kelly Oubre's hair and put it on Kobe? Oh, yeah. Dwayne Wade looks awful. Iman Shepard kind of deal. Oh, yeah, they did give Larry, yeah, yep. with like the buzz on the side. Okay, that's what you're talking about. I didn't, yeah, no, I don't care for that. <laughs> At first, it rubbed definitely me the wrong way, but I, 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 it grew on me after a little bit. Not literally. <laughs> yeah. I, are you gonna I am that a 41-year-old man, and though yeah. I have not been cursed with what so many of my contemporaries have been in terms of losing it, I just don't like to have it anymore. I had long hair for many a year, and, you know, it's just too hot, too much work. I'm lazy. Yeah, well, you're down in Mexico. We're up north. If I, if I was cold, I would probably think about going to more hair. But... Well, we've got preseason October basketball six, guys. coming up soon. Finally. Kind of. Yeah. Less than two months. Right? right Math? Now. Yeah, less than two months as of listening to the podcast. Yeah, right now. We, yeah, cool. after Good job. All. We did it. Good work, everybody. Yeah, we're almost there. Doldrums are still a ways. we got a while. We're not even halfway there. You can look at it whichever. There's half both glass, perspectives. You know, you can find half glass, half full, glass, <laughs> on either half side. Yeah, there's, yeah, we can find all those things. But yeah, it's almost there. And Isaiah, like I said earlier, he says his hip is, is feeling good. And, you know, we'll get to see Gordon Hayward in preseason, which is going to be exciting. Get to see what Brad wants to roll out as far as the lineup looks like. We'll get some clothes. Who's going to actually be on the roster with so many guaranteed contracts? We are at 17. No, is it seven? Well, anyway, we have 16 guaranteed regular season non-two-way contracts, and we are we have one two-way contract with Kadeem Allen and one likely with Jabari Bird. I'm not sure what the holdup is with that. I'm just assuming it's probably minor details, and they're taking their time because they can. But it's going to be interesting. Someone's got to go. Yeah. yeah. Anything you're working on? Well... We've got a Anything bunch of new writers coming onto the site, so keep an eye out for them. I'm helping them along and getting them situated so they can learn our, our uh, site practices and, and get fully situated. Some really good guys coming on, so keep an eye out for their stuff. I'm doing a lot of that. I don't have anything in particular that I'm working on, but I'm scraping the bottom of the internet just to find anything that's relevant to the Celtics to keep those of you who really want to see something coming. If it's not, you know, hard news, forgive us, there's no hard news. Or if there is, you know, we pounce on it when it happens. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, it's going to be a, a long Critical. August. We'll start then, to consolidate. September yeah. stuff starts now. Actually, September's back. But at least there's other things happening, you know, like it's like people going back to school and like it's fall. There's like things happening in September. So it's like August, you're just kind of like, Chilling, you know, summertime, no basketball. It's sad. Also, college usually starts up in October, college games. So there's stuff going on, but 
Well, you can find the pod on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, and most podcatcher apps. And make sure you subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you rate us five stars. It helps us be seen by other listeners and just helps us out. So if you don't like something or you have a suggestion, we'd really appreciate it if you actually let us know on a Celtics Life article in a comment or on Twitter with the hashtag CLPod. Just because we want to bring you guys the Celtics coverage that you want just the way you like it. And that's all we got for you as far as Absolutely. News comes Just make sure that, that, add that you check out the know. links at the top of Celtics Life. Normally we sell tickets through there during the regular season and the playoffs. That obviously isn't happening. But we do, as many regular listeners know, have a very huge variety of shirts and hoodies in our store. Can't get them anywhere else. And buying one really helps us keep this podcast and the site coming to you at full strength. So if you want to help us out, give back it's a great way to do it you get something back for it we're all happy and help us find a new nickname for jalen and jason we need some help on that new t-shirt E-L-Pod, hashtag yeah. put in an ad article whatever you want to do on twitter on any of our accounts let us know what you think we will definitely do something with the best ones we receive yeah all right cool thanks man have a great week take care and y'all. we'll see you guys next week or talk to you guys next week yeah Nice.